But if you're smart about it, you're investing where you have your strongest ROI, and then you mobilize and inspire your teams on the ground that actually have the interaction and can influence that experience, that's when the brand comes to life. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Student Housing Insight Podcast, where we are putting you in touch with the people who bring student housing to life. I'm your host, Wesley Dees. I'm also the CEO of Student Housing Insight. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, Student Housing Insight isn't just a podcast. We are a platform and a community for student housing professionals across the globe that are looking to network and help each other out and really, above all, make student housing better. That's our motto here. I'm also the owner of Providential Student Housing, which is a consulting firm for the student housing sector. We provide everything from due diligence and market analysis services to asset management for a few select clients, as well as business development services. Well, folks, this will be the last podcast episode that I post prior to the Interface Student Housing Conference that's coming up in Austin, Texas, April 3rd through 5th. If you're headed out to Austin for the conference, I hope you will reach out to me and schedule some time to me. I would love to spend 15 minutes with anyone who listens to the show and just talk about you know how we can better serve you as our audience. I've got a calendar link that I'll put in the show notes so you can find a time that's convenient for your schedule. So speaking of Interface, on Monday, April 3rd, We're going to be holding a live podcast recording at the JW Marriott. Now, it won't be streaming live or anything like that, but we'll have about 40 to 50 people in an audience while I sit down with a group of key executives, which will include Jen Cassidy of Cardinal Group, Dan Shope of Campus Life and Style, Aaron Bailey of the Dinnerstein Companies, also Brian Shelangoski with Graystar and Jessica Dellis with Yugo. I think I've covered everybody. That's five, right? Yeah. So, you know, I I love having these remote recordings because there's only really a few times each year that we can get together and have these types of discussions where you have representation from so many management firms and we can sit down and talk about the things that are impacting our industry. So what will we be talking about this year? Well, I was very strategic in the guests that I just mentioned and that I chose for this episode because they are all COOs or they're SVPs of operations. So they're very entangled into the operations of student housing and understand it very well. They're also young enough in their careers that it's completely feasible that 10, even 20 years from now, they will still be in those positions or maybe even started their own student housing company. So with that kind of longevity ahead of them, I really wanted to pick their brain on how the future may impact our industry. And now, what do I mean by the future? Well, we will certainly be talking about technology. So everything from artificial intelligence to digital currency and how those things may help us or hurt us as an industry. But we're also going to be talking about the fact that higher education has some real problems that it has to address. Main thing is population decline in that typical student demographic, at least here in the U.S. That's not necessarily the same issue in in other parts of the world, but it is certainly here in the U.S. 
Also, the political influences on public institutions and how those politics may end up playing a role in how we program a community in a state like Oregon versus a state like Florida, that could be very different 10 years from now. But the most important thing I'm looking forward to when it comes to speaking with this group is about future leadership. What are the characteristics and the experiences that these executives are going to be looking for as they build out the teams around them over the next, again, 10 to 20 years? I think for our audience, this may end up being one really impactful piece of content on where you're career in student housing goes from here. At least that's what I'm planning for. We'll see if that happens. Who knows? Sometimes I can get an executive on the podcast or for shop talk and they either, they're not confident about what they want to say, or they may be afraid to give their true thoughts on something because it may not look good for their company. But I will tell you, we had a prelim call earlier this week and they were awesome. So I'm really, really looking forward to that. So that episode should come out in mid-April. I'm also taking our videographer down to video the podcast. So that will also be on our YouTube channel. And speaking of our YouTube channel and interface, have you seen our Look Who's Going to Austin series? If not, and you're going to interface, make sure you go check that out. I'm interviewing a bunch of interface veterans that have been year after year to kind of get their take on how to make the most out of the conference and and their favorite things to do while they're in Austin. So if you haven't seen that, go check it out. Just go to YouTube and search Student Housing Insight. You'll find the channel and you'll see the series there that's labeled Look Who's Going to Austin. All right, so today's episode is another installment in our Profiles in Student Housing series, where I sit down with an industry executive and really just deep dive into their background and how that intersected with student housing. Last month, we featured Adam Bowerly at The Price Company, and that was unique as he's one of the few people who have worked at the same company their entire professional career. And I don't mean just in student housing, I mean since his part-time job in college, he's been with the same company. You just don't see that anymore these days. And uh, so if you missed that, make sure that you go back and listen to that as well. It was a fantastic interview. And um, based on how much it's being shared and listened to, sounds like our audience really liked it. But this month, we're talking to someone who's fairly new to the student housing industry. He's had an awesome career in hospitality, which is always something I've said translates really well to student housing, as well as some other forms of co-living sectors within real estate. Rui Barrows, that may not be a name that you're familiar with, but trust me, you will be. He's the global CEO of Yugo. And if you haven't heard of Yugo yet, again, don't worry, you will. They're growing at a very healthy pace, and not just here in the U.S., Yugo has properties in nine countries across the globe. Rui was born in Portugal, and he immigrated to the U.S. with his parents when he was just three years old, which provides him with a very unique perspective. His career prior to Yugo was spent operating with well-known brands like Wyndham Hotels and Resorts and WeWork. So I really wanted to find out what attracted him to student housing. So let's jump into my interview with him and find out. Here's my interview with Rui Bears.
Rui, thank you for joining the podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Wes. Thanks for having me. Hugo is somewhat of a new name within the States. It's a brand I came across several years ago when I was visiting London. And I'm excited to talk to you a little bit today about the brand, but also just more so about yourself and kind of your journey and what all has led up to bringing that brand to the States. So yeah. with that being said, let's just start with your origin story. Tell us a little bit about who you are, where you came from, and how all of that intersected with student housing. Yeah, thanks, Wes. Happy to. And, you know, again, when you've been around the block as long as I have, sometimes these stories have become very long. So, <laughs> you know, but I'll try to summarize. Uh, so I was born in Portugal. My parents immigrated when I was three years old with my sister and I to the United States. They landed in Jersey, and I tease them to this day that I wish they had picked Florida or California, warm weather. But Jersey it was. And you know, my dad in particular, he was a chef by trade. He's now retired with my mom back home. But that's how I got introduced to hospitality. I was a very young teenager and oh. wanted to get to work. And the restaurant business was where I landed. My dad pulled some strings, put me in the kitchen washing pots and pans, uh, <laughs> made 70 bucks a week. I was probably one of the wealthiest middle school kids out there right? you know, <laughs> at that time. When you're young, you don't start thinking about what you want to do as an adult, as you transition until you get a little bit closer to graduating high school and kind of thinking about what you want to do next. And my initial dream of being Tom Cruise in the Top Gun movie. <laughs> all of this, all of this. <laughs> it didn't work out. But, you know, the sequel is actually pretty good. So I'll give them thumbs it, up. It is that. really good. And it brought back so many memories. <laughs> it and did. I remember it coming now. I didn't, I was too young to go see it when it came out. I remember my parents coming home from seeing it and my mother being so dizzy because <laughs> big screen and, you know, when, when they go into yeah. that flat spin and goose can eject and all that kind of stuff, she mentioned that she just really got sick. Yeah. Watching, so. No, man, it was really nostalgic for me too. I thought it was well done, but yeah. So the Top Gun thing didn't work out for me obviously. But I did figure out that where I wanted to be, what I wanted to do with the lion's share of my life. And that's what those hard decisions that we need to make, what do we want to do professionally? I landed on hospitality. That's what I wanted to do. So I was laser focused on finding a way into that industry. Wasn't sure if it was going to be aviation, wasn't sure if it was going to be restaurants, hotels, car rentals, you name it. Yeah. So I went to school down in Florida, focused on travel and tourism. Okay. And honestly, coming out of that, I gravitated to hotels. I was really intrigued by the business model, but also this opportunity to influence people's experiences when they're traveling on business or vacation or whatever it is. And, and it felt really sort of glamorous to some degree, right? Really fulfilling. So that's what I did. I decided to head out to California. And this was back in 1989 and landed my first gig in a hotel there, a resort there in Palm Springs, California. Nice. I still remember, Wes, driving into Palm Springs. And if you've ever been there, the main road that takes you into Palm Springs, Highway 111, it's just palm trees on, yeah. Yeah. on either side with this beautiful, majestic view of mountains all around you. Yeah. So I was like, this looks nothing like Jersey. So I'm definitely staying here for a little while. So. <laughs> And that's how my love affair for the hotel business began. And this is where I'll sort of transition into decades and getting you some insight in terms of how I ended up here with student housing and 
all of that. So the first decade, my career focused on operating hotels, like being an operator and being in it, right? Working with management companies and running multiple hotels. The second decade and a half is still in the hotel space, but I got involved in branding where you take hotels and you take business models, you brand them and you expand them. So franchising, I mean, now it's been around for so long, but some of the most successful franchises out there, some are legacy, whether it's Marriott or Hilton that goes back many, many years. And then during my tenure, some of them were new, some of them were launched. I remember when the W brand was launched. Today you look at it and it's like, oh, it's been around for a while. And to this day, there continues to be hotel brands that continue to launch. Some are focused on sustainability. Others are really focused on experiential travel. I mean, that all continues. So I, I did that for about a decade and a half. And then recently, over the last, call it nine, 10 years, I've been working, I sort of transitioned from just hotels to looking at other commercial real estate plays, whether it's, you know, in the office space, co-working space, co-living space, and now student housing, where I felt like there was a connective tissue to hospitality. Yeah. So when you think- You're so right about that on the co-working. I want to park that there for just one second. Yeah, yeah, sure. Before I got my own studio, as I was getting things started, I was in a co-working space and it wasn't the fancy WeWork or anything. It was little mom and pop who they were very kind of missional minded, you know, as far as working with entrepreneurs and that type of thing. Yeah. And just kind of giving back to the community. And they created such of an experience and beyond just giving me a desk to sit at every day, but putting me in contact with people and making sure that there was some kind of programming that was happening at the office every week. I honestly give a lot of my success. I mean, who would have thought some consultant starting a podcast would be here six years later? Yeah. I really give a lot of credit to that experience and the opportunities they provided. So, yeah, I mean, think about that, Wes. So uh, I actually, we work with one of the companies I actually worked with for a few years and that's what really attracted me to that business model. It was a disruptor, right? I really thought about, traditional office space and what co-working was offering, which was a lower cost option where you have less private space and more communal spaces. And then you have the opportunity to network and bring people together in a meaningful way that can help and grow their business. That's pretty amazing, right? That's revolutionary. So I did that for a while. Co-living was another space that I looked at and helped uh, a few companies with, but student housing sort of landing there and I was introduced to our founder, Nick Porter, in New York. I guess now it's about a year and a half ago. Okay. And wanted to learn a little bit more about what he was working on. And it was right about the time that he was launching Yugo as a global student operator or brand, I want to say, not just an operator, but a brand. So I wanted to understand what was behind the curtain there and what was his vision, really? What was he looking to do? And we spent a lot of time not necessarily talking about the business model, which is a really strong business model, but we talked a lot about the opportunity that was ahead of us in building a global brand. And what was really interesting to me is as I was listening to him was, and I kept drawing a correlation back to the hotel space, right? Having spent numerous decades there, having seen legacy brands reinvent themselves, new brands being launched all of that sort of rooted in in hospitality and experiential travel. 
What began to become very clear to me was that student housing is synonymous to that. Customers are different. The length of stay is different. But you're talking about an opportunity to use a platform to deliver an incredible experience and really influence the students' lives during their time in college and university. So that's how I ended up here. I think there's a great opportunity really to connect the dots. Yeah. Let me ask you a little bit about that as far as hospitality within student housing and just kind of what your perspective is on what that looks like from a tangible perspective. Is that making sure that you've got somebody that's taking popsicles out to the pool every day (laughs) and rolling out the red carpet or is it helping set up headshots for the seniors and things like that? What's kind of going to be your, your thoughts on that? Well, popsicles are never bad, right? So we'll take you know, popsicles. <laughs> but what I would say is you need to understand your customer first, right? To better understand how you develop that experience, whether it's a physical aspect of the building, like you know the designs and what kind of amenities you offer, things of that nature. And then to your point, sort of that experiential piece. Yeah. And, you know, having been involved in hotel brands for many years, you rooted in research. You, you have to understand your customer, who your audience is. Yeah. And what really impressed me about Hugo is they did a ton, a ton of research to really understand what Gen Z is really looking for. Gotcha. And that research really, it surfaced three things that if you think about, and this is a third of the population, Wes, I mean, this, these are young adults that can have a major impact when they leave college on the world. But there are three things that are keeping them up at night. One is our planet. And that's a good thing, by the way. And it's great that young people really have acknowledged that there is no planet B. There's planet A. And we need to do everything we can to protect and sustain it. The second thing that keeps them up at night is this concept of adulting. When I think about my experience with my son when he was going through university, that's a stressful time when you get to the point where college is coming to an end and you have to figure out what do you do next? Yeah. Yeah. It's stressful, man. It's really stressful. The third one was really their well-being, right? Their mental well-being. Are they in a good space? If you really look at and even with COVID and what that brought with the onset of loneliness and things of that nature, mental and physical wellness is the third thing that they, that kept them up at night. Yeah. So going back to your question in terms of hospitality, And how does that come to life? I think that we all in our space have a great opportunity to one, listen to our customers. And by the way, we need to continue to listen to them because while we continue to get older, you and I will be a year older next year, Wes, (laughs) our customers remain the same age, but their needs, their wants, what they're concerned with is going to evolve. And so we need to continue to listen. What we did at Yugo, for example, is we took all that research and we said, okay, how do we create a physical space? an experiential space that will deliver those three worries. We may not be able to erase them completely, but if we can align our team that our brand speaks to those three things that we are going to enable and provide platforms to allow our students to participate and influence our sustainability and reducing our carbon footprint, amazing. What can we do to do that? Yeah, some of it might, it won't be popsicles at the pool, particularly <laughs> if it has plastic over it, right? But it will likely be other programs that we can roll out, which we have been rolling out, that will give them the platform to do just that. Getting them ready for their professional lives, 
It's things like making sure that they understand how to prepare themselves for LinkedIn and social networks associated with that, creating mentorship programs, bringing in speakers. It's not too different from the co-working space. Wes, if you think back, you more than likely had programming that focused on professional development, growing your business as an entrepreneur, right? And the whole intent here is to use the power of the brand to create programming that will help you succeed. Yeah. So there's that piece. And then the last one is really wellness. And it comes in a lot of different shapes and sizes. And I just want to emphasize that it's not just the experiential part of hospitality and how our teams are interacting with the students and the programming that we put in place, but it's also the physical asset itself. What are we putting in our spaces? What amenities are we putting in our spaces that actually delivers on those three words? So a successful brand and bringing hospitality into it needs to not be like all over the place, but you really need to define what is your purpose? What is the impact that you're looking to make? And how do you bring that to life? Not just physically, but experientially. And that, that's really what we're focused on. I want to talk about that research you guys did. And it's, those three things are important. And this is the reason I know that. And a recent, I don't know if it was a Vice report or... I definitely saw it on YouTube though, but it was this hour long presentation on following some of the students in, in the Cal state system. And (laughs) they've got some real issues in California. I think we all know that, (laughs) but what is happening with specifically with Cal state and the pressure that's being put onto these campuses to increase enrollment or lose their funding. Obviously, that's just throwing enrollment through the roof and compound that with how hard it is to get approval on building something new in California. And then on top of that, housing is such of a crisis in California. If you do have rental property, you're typically putting it on Airbnb because you're just going to make more money with that versus doing your long rentals. And so it's created a real issue. And these are students that are coming from fairly well-to-do family. I shouldn't say well-to-do. They're definitely you know, medium-income families, certainly not first-generation college students. But instead of coming to school and coming with mom and dad and packing up a U-Haul, they're actually buying a U-Haul truck and outfitting it to basically be their dorm. But you see them put, I mean, literally like the first week, you know, we talk about getting your dorm room ready and that type of thing and having a few days before classes start to do that. They're doing and Home Depot's even sponsoring it. (laughs) They're doing this whole build out your van life kind of thing. And what's crazy about it, those three things, the planet, you know, all of these things, they were thinking about how they were recycling everything and the materials that they were using. And then of course the well being. they were, scheduling times for them to come together as a group of students, you know, that were living in these vehicles, you know, to make sure they had some social interaction. And you look at the foods that they were eating and it wasn't in an out burger. (laughs) They were definitely going to Whole Foods. And so I definitely see that. It's fantastic. You guys did that research. I'm kind of wondering, since you guys are a global company, were there differences that you were able to see? between different countries and even different regions in the U.S. Yeah, and it's pretty cool, man, to see what you just described is all organic, right? Mm-hmm. And guys like me have been around for a long time. I see that type of behavior where organically young people are coming together 
around some of those principles, right? Sustainability and a sense of community and bringing people together to help one another. That's pretty encouraging. And if you go back and you look at the slice of the population that these folks represent, it's really encouraging for me. It should be for all of us, frankly, as we look ahead on what our world will look like 10, 15, 20 years from now. But back to the research. Yeah, it's a really great question. And it was one of the things that I was most interested in was the variation between countries. So we operate all over the world. In the United States, obviously, we are throughout multiple countries in Europe, uh, Germany, Spain, UK, Ireland, Australia. We have a footprint there, China, the UAE. We're, we're all over, yeah. right? And one of the things that I expected was some type of variation that these young people, there are some differences in terms of what's important to them, what they're looking for. Surprisingly, not a lot of variation. These three that I mentioned, the things that are keeping them up at night and things that they're most passionate about, they continue to be in the top three. You might have one that superseded another in a particular country versus others. But the reality is, I think what we're starting to see is a global community coming together. And I think if you were to rewind the clock back to when I started my career, I think that this notion of being global citizens wasn't necessarily there. We were sort of like in our bubble, we were doing our thing. And, you know, I think what you're starting to see that now, and in part, it's probably due to social networks and the ability to actually communicate and interact in a meaningful way, regardless of your time zone and your language and all of that, has actually brought a lot of those values and things that young people are concerned with and have aligned them. So there actually hasn't been a lot of variation, yeah. which is good for us as it relates to building a brand. Because one of the things that, a, you know, if you think about a brand, you put your hotel hat on, one of the things that you look at is consistency. So there should be a level of consistency. If you stay at a Marriott in um, LA versus a Marriott in Melbourne, or Sydney, Australia, there will be some deviation that's driven by local needs. But the reality is the brand is pretty consistent. So the fact that our research shows that all of our students globally are concerned about sort of these top three things, it gives us the ability to create this consistent platform. And what's really cool, Wes, is being a global operator, we are really committed to opening the door for collaboration and communication globally. Mm -hmm. Students that want to go study abroad. Our intent is if we have space, we want to offer it to them. And it's frankly, sort of exchange type program or? Yeah. Yeah. Look, if they're going to go for a semester and we have a space there, or if there is an opportunity for them just to explore another part of the world, yeah. there is opportunity and there's a benefit of having a global brand that allows our students that are interested in mobility and give them that opportunity. Yeah. And we've also, one of the other commitments that we've made is just employing our students, right? We have student ambassadors that right now, I think uh, the last stat I saw, we were approaching nearly 30% of our workforce are students, um, yeah. you know, people who live with us and, and are working with us, which is pretty sweet because we're introducing them to an industry that they could potentially transition to if they have the interest in it, right? And I think student housing is sort of that, there's an inflection point now where it's not just property management, this is an industry that's going to evolve into an extension of hospitality yeah. and branding. And I think that the more we can introduce young people to that, the stronger they'll be and, and will be. Yeah. And you can definitely see that in the executive suites 
with the companies that yeah, have been exactly. around for a while. You and I talked yeah. before, you know, obviously with ACC and Bill Bayless moving into kind of the next phase of what he's doing, they've named a new CEO and he's from the hospitality world. And Kenneth Funk, who is with Scion, they recently brought him on. And I know he's got a yeah. background with Disney and Great Wolf Lodge. Great Wolf, yeah. It's very interesting to see that. I will say and as we're talking about the future, I want to get to the, kind of the next question of what kind of issues do you see ahead for student housing? But to stay on the hospitality thing for just a moment, I feel like there's a lot of companies in student housing who have said that and they had very yeah. well intentions. I don't think that they were necessarily being led by a company like Hugo that had executives that came out of hospitality. But they like saying that they were going to be more hospitality focused versus just transactional rental communities. Right. They've failed on it in so many ways. And I think more than anything, they realized how much it costs. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe it's costed more because they didn't come from that background and maybe you've got a better way of sourcing how that's done. But yeah, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? For you go to be successful at it, what is it going to take? You know, it's a great observation. And I do think that the industry as a whole, the asset class as a whole is seeing the value. I know that there have been others that have talked about it and have struggled to actually get there. But I think you're referencing some uh, executives that have been recruited recently that have come from that space brings a whole nother knowledge base and experience that I think the industry or this particular segment hasn't seen. So I think that that is an indicator that the opportunity is there. But the reality is, I think you need people that have experienced it in other asset classes, like hotels, as an example, that could bring their experiences, their learnings to the table and make it happen in this space. Now, if you don't have that experience and you haven't launched a brand or relaunched a brand, both of those things can be extremely expensive if you don't do it right. Yeah. And in some cases, you get planning, you have to have great partners that see the value. There has to be an ROI associated with some of this, this spend that you would be putting out there. All of those things, I think if you have somebody who's been in the, the hotel space, as an example, the expertise and those learnings can come to the table and you can address some of those issues. But one thing I will tell you, and I tell my team this every chance I get, a brand is only as good as the people who bring it to life. This could be a student housing building, a hotel, a restaurant, these facilities are bricks and mortar, right? And you create a design and here it is, it's shiny, it's nice, it's got your amenities and all of that kind of good stuff. But I will tell you where the brands that I've worked with in the past, where they actually come to life is how our people interact with each other and with our customers, and in this case, being our students, by extension, their parents, universities, all of those things is really what kind of brings it to life. And I think that's a learning that this segment can take from the hospitality space that if they tried it once before and they were focused mostly on the tangibles, you know, like the bricks and mortar, yeah, it gets really expensive. Yeah. But if you're smart about it, you're investing where you have your strongest ROI and then you mobilize and inspire your teams on the ground that actually have the interaction and can yeah. influence that experience that's when the brand comes to life. I mean, think about, um, I don't know, do, do you go to Trader Joe's at all? Oh, yeah. Okay. So Trader Joe's, bricks and mortar, it's a grocery store, right? It's typically not the most luxurious looking store either. <laughs> actually not, right? It, it actually isn't. There's crates and there's just yeah. stuff like hanging around and 
their signs in some cases are developed by hand, but people love the brand. And if you walk into a Trader Joe's, you will experience the brand through every person that you connect with. Yeah. All of the employees that are floating around and the people that actually interact with you. To use another example, you can look at Nordstrom's as an example, which is an entirely different industry and entirely different customer base. Yeah. But you know what you're going to get at Nordstrom's. Yeah. And it's not because of their racks or all of that. It's going to be the experience that you have with another human being. Yeah. That is something that I think this industry will benefit from by bringing in folks that understand hospitality. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to dig in really deep on that and have a discussion on it. I want to invite you back for that because I think that's something that yeah, absolutely. we got to really dive into. I want to get back to that other question that I mentioned earlier. You're pretty new into the industry, but I think folks that are somewhat new probably have a more eyes wide open perspective of what's happening and kind of seeing what's coming down the road. Thinking about the next five to 10 years, what are some of the challenges that you see for the student housing industry? Well, I think we have a supply and demand issue. You mentioned California as an example. I mean, having students. Especially you know, got that issue in the UK. Uh, UK, I mean, a bunch of different markets that are in a position now where, you know, higher education, it's never going to go away, Wes. And it's a counter cyclical business as well. I mean, if there's an impact economically, people don't tend to just scratch their education or their kids' education. That is something that will continue for years to come. And I think what you'll continue to see is enrollments climb. And I think what you'll also see is international mobility. You're going to start seeing more and more students wanting to study abroad. It's already happening. I mean, in, in Australia, as an example, a large percentage of our students come from China and other countries to study in Australia. In the U.S., it's a little bit more splintered. So you, you know, sure. some markets, you see a higher percentage of international students and, and, and others. But if you combine all of that, the fact that demand for higher education is there, it's going to continue to climb, an influx of international students, all of that, you just don't have the supply. So there's going to be a great opportunity to expand on supply. The question then becomes, if you're building, what are you building? If you're converting, what are you converting? And what platforms are you introducing? What brands are you actually engaging with or operators that you're engaging with that actually has the expertise to capitalize on that demand, specifically that that's coming from international markets that you may not be familiar with? I think that's a, an issue that needs to be addressed. A couple other ones that I would throw out there is the cost of energy. It's not cheap. And these things tend to normalize over time, but there has been a significant increase in cost for us and our operators. Can we part that there for just a moment? Because that's so important because in this industry, I've been a part of it the past 25 years and have seen everything happen. You know, let's just talk about resident utilities for a second. When I came into this as a student myself, also working on site, and this didn't last long, but at that point in time, you know, I had to go put the, go put the utilities in my name and another roommate right. had the water and sewer in their name or whatever. And so that was a lot. You have the deposit you typically have to pay. And then there's the whole thing of keeping track of it with your roommates. Thank God we've got companies like Simple Bills yeah, and Service. They do that now. Yeah. That, you know, handle all of that stuff now. But then it, it shifted to, okay, well, we will pass this through so that we can take the administrative burden off, which I think was great. It's fantastic. Solved a problem, made things easier on everybody. But then there, there became this thing of electric caps. And it was a way of basically pushing it into, instead of saying, we're giving you a $30 rate increase, we're actually 
we're going to put that $30 a month that you typically spend in electricity. We're going to put that in the rent. And Mm. if you go over that, then we have the right to go back and charge you. And I think a lot of the operators thought, well, they're all paying $25 a person in reality. So this is a way to get another five bucks. That backfired in a big way. Because then it was, students wanted to just have that all-inclusive thing, which I get it. You're from hospitality as well. I mean, yeah, I don't want to go to a hotel and have to worry about having another bill for electricity and water that I use, right? Right. But from a conservation standpoint, that is the best way of doing it. And kind of wondering with your background in hospitality, I've got to imagine from the hospitality world, there were a lot of ways, things that you guys put in place in order to become as efficient as you can. And so that, that, you know, electricity doesn't become something that, you know, ends up turning into a, a negative for you guys. So any thoughts on that? You know what? The hotel space did the same thing as it relates to fees, right? So if you, if you, in fact, I think they're still in place in some markets. Las Vegas is one that comes to mind where you're checking out of a, a Las Vegas hotel and you have all kinds of fees, resort fees. And, yeah. You know, it doesn't tell you what the resort fee is, but, uh, you know, generally it was an offset for additional expenses that the hotel needs to incur. So there are that still it's a great political discussion right now, because <laughs> right now we're talking about the Biden administration wanting to get rid of these fees. And at the same time, that same administration is wanting to do things for the environment. And it's kind of yeah. like, yeah, maybe yeah. there needs to be <laughs> some transparency there on those fees. But anyway. Well, here's my view on it, Wes. There's the financial approach where, you know, you come up with a structure that begins to control, you, you force control yeah. of consumption through fees and things of that nature. And I don't think that's necessarily ever going to go away. I think that operators will continue to find ways to do that to protect, you know, their NOIs and, and all that. Because they, you know, obviously the owners, operators need to uh, realize a return. But here's what I think. I think that we need to double down on education and awareness. And you asked what the hotel industry has done in the past. And I think what I'm starting to see even in student housing is if you go back to the worries that our students students have, one of them is our planet. So hotels actually started rolling out programs, whether it was keep your linen or your towels and rather than getting them replaced every day so you can conserve water. You have now in the United States, it's starting to become a little bit more common. But if you were traveling in Europe, your lights don't even come on in your hotel room unless you put right. your key in, inside of it. And then you, you leave and then obviously that consumption goes down because you know, you're, not, you're not using it. So I, I believe that technology will play a part. But I do think education is huge. And I think we have an opportunity, particularly with the students that have told us that one of their main concerns is the planet that we are educating them on what carbon literacy really is. And actually that was one of our studies because we engaged with an organization to certify not just our own employees, but students on carbon literacy. And what we found was that while I think the number was pretty high, like 60, 70% realized that carbon literacy is important, but they didn't know how to impact the bearer footprint. I think it's a combination of all that stuff. And I would double down on education, awareness, behavior changes, and technology to support that. And the fee stack, I think that uh, if you get to a point where you do the first two really, really well, you'll be less dependent on the fee stack. Like, how do you actually enforce that consumption? But it's a real headwind, man. Uh, you asked me earlier. I think that's a headwind. And the third one, if I could just offer it, is, is labor. It's people. 
If you take a look at COVID period and even post-COVID period in the hospitality space, it's a bloodbath, right? I mean, yeah. as it relates to people and labor. And, and frankly, a lot of folks that left the hospitality space and decided not to come back, they decided to explore other industries that in their mind, they felt they were, you know, it was more stable. I think the student housing space hasn't had that big of an impact as hotels and restaurants and you know, some of those industries. But I do think it's something that we need to keep our eye on moving forward. And one message I would deliver to your audience is young people need to look at student housing as a career. There is great opportunity here. It is not just a stopover. It is a opportunity to step into a career that has global mobility and professional advancement. And I think we need to do a better job, all of us, um, all operators that are in our space, we need to do a better job educating our young people that this is a viable career. And we need to double down on that because labor and having the right people in the right place doing the right thing is super, super important. We've definitely got to have you back on the podcast because there's so many things there I want to dive into, especially talking about people. I mean, we've just had some huge discussions both on this podcast as well as with Shop Talk, our monthly webinar on centralization. And a lot of things I'm looking at is like, okay, go back to that Nordstrom thing. It's all about that human to human experience, right? Uh And if we're centralizing so many things and allowing AI to do so many things, which I'm not against, I'm all for progressing in those areas. I wish we would stop calling these AI we got to stop giving them names that <laughs> <laughs> all those movies that are popping up with, um, what was the last one? Megan, was that, uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I'd love to dive into that conversation. Well, Hey, one last question and thanks for that advice to the audience. Cause I always ask our guests that we're profiling that exact question. So appreciate that. So let me move no, to the well, last question, which is simply anything on the horizon for the next 12 months for yourself or you go that you want to share? Well, you know, I'll summarize it. We recently launched a doc group, which is basically our parent company that has brought together a variety of different companies under one umbrella yeah. that recently launched a couple months ago, Wes. And I think, I mean, it's fairly new, right? But I think people will start to see uh, the value of bringing those companies together because there's a lot of synergies there. So I think one of the things to keep an eye on with Yugo in particular is how Yugo plays a part in the overall value creation with the doc group. And the doc group has a mission of influencing students around the globe in a variety of different ways. I mean, we play a part in that. And then there are other sister companies that that play a part in that. That's That's something that's really exciting for me. And, you know, I think that outwardly it's fairly new. I think you guys will learn and hear more about that. And then on the heels of that, I would say that, you know, our commitment is to growth. We're bullish about it. We talked about the need for more supply and the fact that we're building and expanding on our brand. I think that's uh, something that you should keep an eye on, that uh, you'll start to see you go expand, not just in the United States, but you'll see us enter new markets, but also expand in existing markets throughout Europe and Australia. Great. Well, I appreciate your time today, Rui. This has been fantastic. And like I said, I'm completely serious. I hope you'll uh, allow us some more time to dive into this because I think we could have a lot of great conversations on some of this stuff and it's things that folks in the industry need to hear. So, Yeah, I enjoyed it, Wes. And I know you're headed to Austin here in a couple of weeks, so uh, I'll get to meet you in person. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, looking forward to spending some time in Austin and let's get some barbecue. Awesome. (laughs) Okay, it sounds good. (laughs) All right, take care. Take care, Wes. Cheers. 
Well, again, let me just say how much I appreciate Rui taking the time out to give us his background and talk about the mission behind Yugo. I'm looking forward to seeing how they grow and the folks that they're bringing on board are just spectacular and I'm expecting a lot of good things. Well, guys, that does it for this episode. If you got something out of it, please share it with your colleagues and certainly share it on LinkedIn. That means the world to me when you do that. Also, if you have not registered for our monthly webinar called Shop Talk, make sure you do that. It's not really so much a webinar as it is a monthly meetup to talk about things that are impacting the industry. You can register and get more info by going to shoptalk.info. Again, that's shoptalk.info. We'll also include the link in the show notes. Thanks for listening, everyone, and I hope to see you in Austin.